So wonderful to worship the Lord together. So very grateful to sing the song about the blood of Jesus applied to us and then about the faithfulness and goodness of God towards us. As I was looking at our bulletin handout this morning, it just struck me, and so I wanted to point out how many events there are for ladies uh, this coming week or so. And so you see um, at the bottom of the front, there's a new Bible study starting on Wednesday evening. Um, please note that. And then you might notice a Moms Fellowship group. That's starting up this coming Friday for moms of all ages. Also, some volunteers are needed there, I believe. Also, Friday night, it's not in here, but just a time of fun and fellowship together. Bunko night for ladies of all ages. And then ladies living forward, single ladies age 60 and plus, so a lot going on, pay attention to that. And also, so grateful, Drew, for uh, the elders' leadership as we enter this evaluation process. And I just want to encourage you, sometimes good things take time. <laughs> so set aside the time. Doesn't matter how long you've been at Carrie Alliance Church, we need a whole variety of input here. And so over the next four weeks or three weeks, four Sundays, please take some time and work through the peak process. And if you did not receive that link, then let us know so that we can be sure you receive the survey. Have you ever been in conversation with somebody and you saw their eyes are glazed over and they're really an autopilot, the head's nodding, and every once in a while saying, yeah, uh-huh, uh-huh. Um, Miriam's probably thinking, yeah, I've seen that. Um, and you want to grab them and shake them because you need to get their attention. God had to do that sometimes with his people. And he did it very often through what you might call the shock prophets. And so we have, for example, Jeremiah, three months literally carrying a yoke and chains to communicate God's message. Uh, or Isaiah, apparently three years going about naked as he shared his message. Uh, or Ezekiel packed up his bag and dug through the back wall of his house <laughs> to escape. These vivid examples grabbing our attention, shaking us to point out how awful, how appalling is sin, but also how amazing is the faithful love of our Lord. And that's what is going on in this story of Hosea that we approach this morning. I woke up last Monday morning and thought, oh no, I didn't give a content warning. So there might be some who were shocked as you read the story of the prophet Hosea and what God called him to do, but how key is the message of his life, not only for Israel, but Jesus said that those prophets are for us, to tell us about how appalling sin is and how amazing is the faithful love of our Lord. 
It's really hard to summarize Hosea. Uh, I just want to start out with three passages that give the sense of the message of this prophet. Hosea pretty much can be divided into two sections. Chapters 1 through 3 tell the story of the prophet as an object lesson, and then chapters 4 through 14 are God's commentary on the actual situation and what's going on with the people and the judgment to come. And so for this summary, we're going to work through several key passages in uh, 4 through 14. I mean, for this initial scripture reading. So Hosea 4.1, hear the word of the Lord, you Israelites, because the Lord has a charge to bring against you who live in the land. There is no faithfulness, no love, no acknowledgement of God in the land. There is only cursing, lying, and murder, stealing, and adultery. They break all bounds, and bloodshed follows bloodshed. Because of this, the land dries up, and all who live in it waste away. The beasts of the field, the birds in the sky, and the fish in the sea are swept away. So you have the accusation. Then the results, when Ephraim saw his wicked sickness and Judah his sores, then Ephraim turned to Assyria and sent to the great king for help. But he is not able to cure you, not able to heal your sores. For I, that's the Lord, will be like a lion to Ephraim and a great lion to Judah. I will tear them to pieces and go away. I will carry them off with no one to rescue them. Then I will return to my lair until they have borne their guilt and seek my face in their misery. They will earnestly seek me. And then the love of the Lord. How can I give you up, O Ephraim? How can I hand you over, Israel? How can I treat you like Adma? How can I make you like Zeboim, places of desolation? My heart is changed within me. My compassion is aroused. I will not carry out my fierce anger, nor will I devastate Ephraim again. For I am God, not a man, the Holy One among you. I will not come against their cities. They will follow the Lord. He will roar like a lion when he roars his children will come trembling from the west. They will come from Egypt trembling like sparrows, from Assyria fluttering like doves. I will settle them in their homes, declares the Lord. So this is an encapsulation of the message that the Lord has for Israel through Hosea. To get the sense of what's going on, there's a little bit of history that we need to understand. Before Hosea even wrote and was on the scene, Assyria, the great nation with Nineveh as its capital, had come across the top of the desert and from the north and began to put pressure on Israel and on the surrounding nations, conquering some, pressing hard on others. Assyria became the hated enemy of the people of Israel, had taken away some land 
in various victories. But a coalition of kings actually led to conquering the armies of Assyria and driving them back. And again, just before Hosea's time, Assyria kind of shrunk and, and went into a time of recession, and Israel actually entered into a new heyday. Israel was able to restore its borders, even to recover some of the land that had been lost to Syria and that had been lost to Aram. It became something of an international power again. So prestige and prosperity was restored to the land. But as Hosea observed, during this time of prosperity, rather than give thanksgiving to the Lord, and rather than worship him and follow him, the people of Israel turned again further and deeper into idolatry and into lawlessness, into wickedness, immorality, greed, and injustice. And so Hosea comes along to prophesy about the coming downfall of Israel as a result of their spiritual condition. Assyria comes to power again. And during Hosea's time, the leaders of Israel, rather than turn to the Lord for rescue, turn to surrounding nations, turn to Egypt and form a treaty with them, turn to Assyria actually and send tribute to Assyria, trying to curry the favor of that nation. But the Lord brings his judgment upon that land. And during Hosea's 40 years of ministry, there are seven different kings of Israel. Four of those kings are assassinated by their successor. The nation descends into instability and weakness and finally is conquered. To illustrate this message of Israel's unfaithfulness to the Lord, God calls the prophet Hosea and has him live out an incredible and a heartbreaking, a jarring and important lesson of a love story. And that is the good man, Hosea, whom the Lord calls to take as his wife the unfaithful woman, Gomer. In chapter 1, the Lord says, take to yourself this wife of unfaithfulness. By her have children of unfaithfulness. Then watch as she abandons you and turns to other lovers. And then when she has reached the absolute pit of slavery, buy her back and love her as your own. And so Hosea experiences all of the pain, the agony of the very deepest kind of betrayal, and then demonstrates unexpected, impossible love, mercy, and forgiveness towards this one whom he has called to bring back into his home and live with in faithfulness. 
This is a story of Israel's unfaithfulness. And the book of Hosea is an explanation of Israel's unfaithfulness and ours as well. And there's five different ways in which we see the unfaithfulness of the people expressed. The first one, I don't know if you've had the opportunity to read Hosea, but over and over again you read about this word acknowledge. The Lord says, you have failed to acknowledge me. And specifically, he's simply referring to gratitude. He's referring to the recognition that the love and the blessings that the people of Israel have experienced come from the Lord. He's not asking for Israel to do great things. He's simply asking for the people to recognize his wonderful love, his unconditional love towards them that he has poured out and instead they have refused to recognize. One place where we see this is in chapter 11, verses 1 through 4. The Lord says, When Israel was a child, I loved him. Out of Egypt I called my son, but the more they were called, the more they went away from me. They sacrificed to the Baals and they burned images, incense to images. It was I who taught Ephraim to walk, taking them by the arms, but they did not realize it was I who healed them. I led them with cords of human kindness, with ties of love. To them I was like one who lifts a child to the cheek. I bent down and I fed them. The Lord is recalling images of when he called this people out of nothingness and made them his people. In the days of Abraham, there was no such people as the people of Israel. They did not exist. All you had was one guy, Abraham. And God said, Abraham, I am going to make a great nation out of you. And we see that promise fulfilled through the patriarchs until in the days of Moses, you have a great nation called out of nothingness and now in slavery. And God leads them out. He redeems them from the land of Egypt. He establishes them in the land that he had promised to them. He makes them his people. He gives them his law. He shows them his ways. He calls them to follow him. He helps them to stand up. He gives them victory over the enemies that surround them. God does everything possible to establish this people to show his love for them. And the response is a failure to recognize the great love of the Lord towards them and a failure to follow him. God wants to be acknowledged and the people take his blessings for granted and then turn to other gods. And so that is the second expression of unfaithfulness in the book of Hosea. And that is idolatry. And the astounding thing about the idolatry that is described for us is that it is actually taking the Lord's blessings and using them in idol worship. Look at chapter 2, verse 8. Israel has not acknowledged that I was the one who gave her the grain, the new wine, and the oil, who lavished on her the silver and gold, which they used for Baal. 
taking God's blessings and using them in worship of the false gods of the nations around them. Remember those calves for worship that we talked about? Those are the idols used to demonstrate the loyalty and the love of the people for the false gods of the nations around them. And so Israel's unfaithfulness is expressed in that worship. God had found and loved and delivered and taught and blessed these people. They forgot and neglected him and went after others. Third expression of Israel's unfaithfulness in the book of Hosea then is seen in the idolatry or the worship of the gods of the other nations, then becoming trust in the power of the other nations or trust in the power of human means for deliverance. Remember, we had talked about the pressure that Assyria was putting on the people of Israel. And Israel's response was not to go to the Lord. Israel's response was to go to Egypt, to try and make a treaty with a powerful nation to the south to protect them from the invaders from the north. Israel's response was to send tribute off to Assyria to try and hold off the military conquest by appeasing the wrath of that nation by making a treaty with the foreign nation, with the foreign gods. But it's really interesting that it is not simply the current event or the the current uh, loyalty to other nations that galls the Lord as we read through the book of Hosea, but it is rather a demonstration of this through the history of the people. The Lord points out in the book of Hosea, this started all the way back at Gilgal. Gilgal is where Saul was appointed king over the people of Israel. Gilgal was the moment when the people of Israel said, we don't want God for our king. We want someone who we can see, who is powerful, who is strong who will lead us in victory over the nations, turning away from God and turning to human means to accomplish the purposes that the people desire in their hearts. This dependence on foreign nations and on human means started at Gilgal and continued through the history of the United Kingdom under David and Solomon and the divided kingdom of Israel and Judah constantly turning to foreign powers for rescue instead of turning to the Lord. And so Hosea says in chapter 7, verse 11, Ephraim is like a dove, easily deceived and senseless, now calling to Egypt, now turning to Assyria. Third expression of Israel's unfaithfulness that we see in the book of Hosea is violation of the covenant. We already read about that in chapters 4, in chapter 4, verses 1 through 4. Let me remind you again, there's no faithfulness, no love, no acknowledgement of God in the land. 
only cursing, lying and murder, stealing and adultery. They break all bounds and bloodshed follows bloodshed. This is another area where Hosea doesn't just concentrate on the present day, but goes back through the whole history, not only of Israel, but actually the history of all of mankind. Chapter 6, verse 7 is a remarkable verse in Hosea, where the Lord says, as at Adam, they have broken the covenant. They were unfaithful to me. God had made promises to his people from day one. You walk with me, you follow my ways, and I will be your God, and I will walk with you, and I will bless you. And all the way back at Adam, rather than acknowledge the Lord and worship the Lord, we choose our own way. We seek our own purposes. We worship ourselves and the things that we make. Through the book of Hosea, we then see that history played out through the whole story. Remember when God led the people of Israel out of Egypt and they came to uh, Baal Peor? That's the place, maybe you remember the story of Balaam and Balak. The people fell into worship of a foreign God. Hosea reminds us of Gibeah, a horrible place of bloodshed and of immorality, a place where we absolutely see how appalling is sin in the history of Israel during the time of the judges. Hosea reminds us again of Gilgal, where the people rejected the Lord as their king and wanted human kings. Hosea reminds them of Bethel, the place that's supposed to be called the house of God. And he renames Bethel, Beth-Avon, the house of evil, because that's now the place where Jeroboam established a golden bull that the people were supposed to worship as the God who led them out of Israel. And God says, I did all this for you. I led, I mean, sorry, out of Egypt. I led you out of Egypt with great power to bring you to myself. And you worship the foreign gods. You have violated the covenant. Again, Ezekiel 6, 7 as at Adam, they have broken the covenant and were unfaithful to me there. The interesting thing about Ezekiel 6, 7 is that it's preceded by Ezekiel 6, 1 through 6, which is a really interesting passage because it catches us by surprise. Hosea, sorry, Hosea 6 is not an encouraging chapter in the Bible. It starts out sounding really good, but then we get to the heart of the people. Listen to it. Come, let us return to the Lord. He has torn us to pieces, but he will heal us. He has injured us, but he will bind up our wounds. After two days, he will revive us. 
On the third day, he will restore us that we may live in his presence. Let us acknowledge the Lord. Let us press on to acknowledge him. As surely as the sun rises, he will appear. He will come on us like the winter rains, like the spring rains that water the earth. Do you hear the expectation? We're going to acknowledge the Lord. It's only going to take a couple of days. He'll deliver us from the enemies around us, reestablish us as people. God always does this thing. God always responds in this way. And God says, what can I do with you, Ephraim? What can I do with you, Judah? Your love is like the morning mist. That repentance that we read about in verses 1 through more, that's the morning mist. It appears for a little while, but then it vanishes over and over and over again. Your love is like the morning mist, like the early dew that disappears. Therefore, I cut you in pieces with my prophets. I killed you with the words of my mouth. Then my judgments go forth like the sun. For I desire mercy, not sacrifice, and the acknowledgement of God rather than burnt offerings. The fifth area in which God points out the unfaithfulness of Israel is ritualism and false repentance. This isn't real repentance going on. This is a people who are shedding tears of remorse over their suffering, but not over their sin, who are seeking rescue from danger in two or three days but not permanent deliverance from the false gods that they worship. In chapter 8, Hosea points out how they acknowledge the Lord with their lips, but they continue in their worship of the idols. And it's important to note that it's not just the people. Hosea is very clear to point out it's the priests, and the leaders as well. A whole nation that is caught up in unfaithfulness as seen in failure to acknowledge the God, their worship of false idols, their trust in human need, means and surrounding nations, their violation of their covenant promises with the Lord, and their outward worship but inward corruption, their ritualism, and false repentance. So what does that look like for us? How do we see unfaithfulness in our day? What are some ways, for example, that we fail to acknowledge the Lord? I think one concrete area that we can focus on is prayerlessness. We have an opportunity even just three times a day, <laughs> breakfast, lunch, and dinner, to acknowledge, simply acknowledge the Lord. And is that a mere ritualism and in Jesus' name, amen, really means it's time to eat? Or is that actually a moment in which we can pause and recognize that the faithfulness that brought food to our tables is the same faithfulness that brings 
mercy into our lives every morning, and that carries us through to the very end. Every moment that we have that opportunity to say, your goodness has followed me all of my days. I love you, Lord. But it's so easy to forget. God warned the people from day one, when you go into the land, don't forget that I gave you the abundance. Don't forget that I brought you into the land. Remind your children, let this be on your lips so that generation after generation will acknowledge the Lord and not be led astray in their hearts. But it's really easy to go day after day presuming upon the goodness of God without recognizing where it comes from. But let's go beyond the blessing on our meal and talk about prayer in our daily activities, in our efforts to serve the Lord. One of the things that I'm struck with over and over again is when Jesus tells us in John chapter 15, apart from me, you can do nothing. And I think, wait a minute, there's a lot of things that I can do. Yes, but if I'm doing it apart from Jesus, then it bears no fruit for his glory because he's the one who does the work. And so when I come to him on my knees and say, Lord Jesus, please do the work, it's an acknowledgement of who he is. And when I go through my day without asking him to do the work, then it is a failure to acknowledge him. One other area in which we can live this out, and that is trusting in human means rather than trusting in the Lord. Much of our life is an accumulation of possessions and power so that we can control our circumstances. That's idolatry. If I'm spending more time and more mental effort on my 401k than I am in trusting the Lord, that's unfaithfulness. If I am depending more on the outcome of the next election for what is going to bring peace and a future into my life, then that is idolatry, trusting in human means instead of trusting in the Lord. Now, God does not call us not to plan and not to act. Israel did have an army. <laughs> That's okay. The scriptures do call us to prepare for the future. The scriptures call us to good citizenry. But where is our hope? Where is our confidence? I remember back in 1992, a young mom in the church called me up after Bill Clinton beat George Bush Sr. in the elections and said, what are we going to do? What's going to happen? And I think most of us would be pretty happy to be back in those days, wouldn't we? 
It's not. Politicians and 401ks or the people we surround us with who provide our security, it is the Lord. So who do we trust and who do we follow? Can't hit everything, but do need to mention the ritualism that is seen in both hypocrisy and self-righteousness. God calls out ritualism instead of a changed heart. Hypocrisy is when I say, I'm going to go to church on Sunday and clean up my language, but I can live how I want the rest of the time and I'm still going to be okay. Self-righteousness is in some ways just the opposite, but the same problem in the heart. Self-righteousness is, I'm going to be good every day. I'm going to be so good that everybody sees it, everybody knows it, and God's pleased by it. And both fail to recognize that what God wants is a heart of repentance before him. And so Hosea calls us in our day, in the upheaval around us, in the uncertainty of our lives, to place our trust only in the Lord. Here's how we see Hosea calling us to place our trust only in the Lord. Before we get there, we have to talk briefly about the judgment that Hosea anticipates and lives out for the people of Israel. It's seen in three different ways. Shockingly, it's seen in the names of his three children who are born to him in chapter 1. Because of the unfaithfulness of Israel, they will be scattered. Here we're talking about exile. Here we're talking about ripped up out of the land and sent to foreign nations. And to illustrate this, God says, name your firstborn Jezreel. Jezreel literally means to be scattered. Jezreel has an incredibly rich history. It's a valley in Israel, it's a place where there's terrible bloodshed. It's the place where Assyria finally defeats Israel and carries it off. And it's simply a recognition of what exile means. The loss of all of those blessings, the loss of everything that you valued, the loss of ritual temple worship, the loss of security of possessions scattered among the nations. The second judgment, you will be not loved. And so Israel names his second child, poor child. Can you imagine growing up with a name not loved? Lo Ruhama. God had poured out his love on this nation. God had promised his love towards them. And now God says, you will no longer be my beloved. That nurture that I demonstrated towards you, that will be turned into exposure to weakness, to destruction. You acknowledge the other gods. Let's see how well the other gods care for you. Because you will no longer be my beloved. 
And then the third judgment, not my people. Hosea's poor third child going through life, not mine. The child of unfaithfulness, not my people. God's covenant with Moses was a conditional covenant. If you will follow me, if you will obey my commands, if you will worship me and turn away from the idols around, you will be my people and I will be your God. You have violated the covenant. You are not my people and I am not your God. But that is not the point of Hosea. The point of Hosea is God's faithful love. We're going to take a minute to read, wow. We're going to take a minute to summarize. (laughs) (laughs) Chapter 3. Actually, we're going to read it. The Lord said to me, go and show your love to your wife again. So she has gone off into unfaithfulness. She has fallen into slavery and prostitution. Go and show your love to your wife again. Although she is loved by another man and is an adulteress, love her as the Lord loves the Israelites, though they turn to other gods and love the sacred raisin cakes. So I bought her for 15 shekels of silver and about a homer and lethic of barley. That's the price of a slave. Then I told her, you are to live with me for many days. You must not be a prostitute or intimate with any man, and I will behave the same towards you. For the Israelites will live many days without king or prince, without sacrifice or sacred stones, without ephod or household gods. Afterwards, the Israelites will return and seek the Lord their God and David their king. They will come trembling to the Lord and to his blessings in the last days. James Boyce has called this the greatest chapter in the Bible. James Boyce, who loves Romans, I've only ever heard him preach on the New Testament. This is the greatest chapter in the Bible. Because this is the chapter of redemption. The chapter of buying back. Let's step out of the imagery of Gomer and into our lives in which we are in bondage to sin and idolatry, in which we are in the slave market of sin, and our only hope is condemnation and death. And Jesus comes into the slave market and says, I'm going to bid on that one. And there's only one price. And it's not 15 shekels. Peter tells us. It's the precious blood of the Lamb. When Jesus went to the cross, it was because he loves me. He loves us. He loves an unfaithful and idolatrous and nation of Israel and a people in our world that constantly turn away from the Lord. He loves so much that he was willing to lay down his own life to buy us back and to live with us in faithfulness and love. And the last verses of that chapter 
point forward to the day of a new covenant. A day when there's no more idolatry. A day when there's no more sin in our hearts and in our lives. A day when we follow the new David, Jesus, God's Son, who is the bridegroom of the church. And so Hosea is calling us to that day of redemption. Hosea is calling us to the God who turns things around. Did you hear the lion roaring? I'm going to tear him apart. Well, there's another lion in Hosea. There's the lion who roars to call her children back. Did you hear about the mist of unfaithfulness? Well, there is also the dew that settles on the ground and waters the earth. Hosea tells us about a God who turns things around. And so the end of chapter 2 is the place where all of those curses are turned into blessing. It's the place where the one, where the nation that is scattered, Jezreel, is sown back in the land. That's a play on the word Jezreel because when you sow something, you scatter seed. And God says, I'm going to scatter you back in the land. I'm going to reestablish you as my beloved people. The nation that had been called not my loved ones will once again be called his loved ones. God says, I will woo you to myself. I will speak tender words to you. I will betroth you to myself forever in love and justice and compassion and faithfulness. And those who were called not my people are once again called the people of God. And instead of calling out to the Baals, they call out to the Lord as their husband. He says, I will remove, I will remove the idolatry from among you. I will establish my covenant of love. I will bless you. I will deliver you from the power of the grave. Hosea is a story not of sin and judgment, but of the love of a God who redeems. Hosea reminds us that every sin at its root is infidelity. It hurts God and it destroys us. And it costs the life of Jesus Christ. But God can and does redeem the sinner. Hosea calls us to recognize, to repent, and to return to God who waits to redeem us. Let's pray together. Thank you, God, for your steadfast love, undeserved, Lord, I pray that by your Spirit you would point out to us the ways in which we are unfaithful. And yes, that you would show us how that destroys our soul. 
when we give ourselves to the false idols of possession and politics and power and all those things that surround us. And call us to yourself. Woo us with your amazing love, with your redeeming love. In Jesus' name, amen.